So the Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For he, for who hopes for what he has already see, seen or sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we, we thank you for um, this day and we thank you for this time. We thank you for this celebration, this season of the church that we call Pentecost, where we remember um, the goodness and graciousness um, of the gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives, God. Um, we remember that time where you sent your Holy Spirit um, to indwell us um, and, and to be... A, a function and a, a part of the life of every um, believer in the world, not just specific people that, that you had laid your spirit on in the Old Testament, but God, all of those who have trusted in your son, Jesus Christ, and, and repented of their sins um, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God, we know that that spirit, um, that he serves multiple functions in our lives and that he is, that he is interceding for us and, and pointing us towards Jesus Christ and um, all these different things that are going on. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that um, he, is, he is working and, and interceding in our lives, even in this time, God. Um, we ask specifically that your Holy Spirit would, would work um, as we come to this scripture, um, that the Holy Spirit would, God, shine light on this text, um, that we would understand you, that we would understand uh, him, um, that we would understand uh, the Godhead, that we would understand ourselves um, better, um, that we would have a more clear picture of who you are and who we are in light of who you are. Um, God, help us to do that by shining light on this text and showing us something that we have not seen and making us understand it in a way that we have not understood it before. Um, God bless Brandon as he comes and shares with us today. Um, help the things that, um, that he says to, to um, God be, be filled with, with your truth um, uh, as he speaks from your word. Uh, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this thing working? Yeah. So, um, we are starting a series uh, in which uh, several of us will be preaching over the next couple weeks, talking about 
more or less the Trinity, uh, various aspects of each person of the Trinity. Tonight, because it is Pentecost, uh, I am going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. But I'm taking a bit of a odd stance on this. Uh, normally on Pentecost, we talk about that passage in Acts that everybody knows, in which there's this huge sermon, everybody speaks in tongues, crazy things happen, there's fire. Who knows what that's all about? Um, and, like, but we've got that idea. We've, we've heard this missionary call. I think that is how a lot of people see the Holy Spirit as being for those special occasions, those missionary approaches, those big sweeping events. What I want to talk about tonight is the Spirit working in the less maybe grand things, equally important, maybe more important, but less big. So I, I want to see how the Spirit works in our everyday lives. And by this, of course, I don't mean the lives that we sort of put in front of everybody, but I mean our actual lives. Society has a way of putting a sort of thin coat of paint on top of everything. There's a veneer. Um, take Facebook as an example. Most of you probably still have your Easter photos up as your profile pictures. Yeah, I got some, uh, some laughing out there, which means, yeah, that's you. Uh, you're holding your loved ones close. You have your family there. It's a very pretty picture. That looks good. On Facebook, it looks good. But what was your last post? Was it about your new job? Your new car? New kid? Uh, was it about your summer vacation? The beach trip? The cool stuff going on in your lives? That's the stuff we like to share about. Like that's, that's the part of us that we want to put out there. But when was the last time you read a Facebook status that's something to this effect? I'm out of money, flat broke, I can't pay my bills, I'm questioning my salvation, I'm feeling cripplingly lonely and depressed, I'm struggling to hold my marriage together, I've lost my job, important relationships to me are horribly destroyed and maybe irreparably, I, people I love have died and I can't cope with it, I'm not sure how to handle my kids, work is difficult and it's fruitless. I don't know how to deal with all the responsibilities I'm supposed to deal with. Hashtag everything is vanity. Hashtag curse. How often do you hear those? I mean, you occasionally see one or two. But for the most part, you see the good times. But that's not how most of our lives feel. The, the good times seem to be very fleeting. And the bad times seem to be persistent and prevalent. They feel like they last. I don't mean to be melodramatic here, uh, but it's a myth and a lie that everything is always okay. It's just not. I've had the privilege of getting to know many of you in the last few years. I've known a lot of you for longer than that, 
But in the last couple years since we've been in this church, I've had the unique opportunity to walk alongside you. And these are the sort of struggles I've seen in your lives. And what I found really interesting about that and about being in community with this church is that I'm not alone in that. Because for all my issues, you guys have them too. And it's not just us. It's not just this church. It's not just the church. It's the whole world. Beneath that thin, that thin Facebook veneer, the entire world is struggling. It's suffering. And I'm certainly not the first person to realize this. I mean, Ecclesiastes has me beaten to the point. But I did think of one other person who I think really talked about this in an interesting way. And he took it from a completely different approach than I am. That prolific author, C.S. Lewis. He was looking at this from uh, the direction of writing children's stories. He got some flack over the years for why is he writing kids' stories and why is he writing fantasy. A lot of people have the notion that fantasy is bad for kids and so on and so forth. And so he was sort of defending himself when he wrote this. Uh, here he's referring to his sort of fiction corpus as fairyland. He writes, In a sense, a child does not long for fairyland as a boy longs to be the hero with the first eleven. Does anyone suppose that he really and prosaically longs for all the dangers and discomforts of a fairy tale? That he really wants dragons in contemporary England? It's not so. It would be much truer to say that fairyland arouses a longing that he does not know what. It stirs and troubles him with the dim sense of something beyond his reach. And, far from dulling or emptying the actual world, it gives it a new dimension of depth. This is a special kind of longing. The boy reads, reading the school story of the type I have in mind, desires success and is unhappy once the book is over because he can't get it. The boy reading the fairy tale desires and is happy in the very act of desiring. Doesn't that sound a bit like mankind? We desire and long for the thing that is behind the story. People are longing for something, something better. Now, the object that is that something better, that's what makes us Christians. For we say it is Christ, and others will say it is other things. But everybody is looking for that something. So then it is not just hardships that we suffer. It is the lack of goodness that we experience that is also part of our suffering. We suffer because we can't grasp that hidden longing, that thing that we're searching for behind all else. And if I were to end here, it would be a sad day. And we shouldn't be singing on the way out the door. But let us take up and read the words of the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Paul, here having in mind both the persecutions of the church and also the general suffering that plagues mankind, offers us hope in light of suffering. He explains that these sufferings are not even comparable to the glory that we will see someday. Paul's saying that, yes, there is something beyond our reach. But one day, we will see it. It will be revealed to us. And it will be so glorious that it will be beyond compare. He goes on. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We know, dear church, that the whole creation groans. It longs for glory. It suffers. It is racked with pain even. And even until now. It's not just the church that feels it. It's not just mankind. It is creation itself. The birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, the animals in the fields. The very earth beneath us groans and suffers and longs for glory. Because it was submitted to futility. It is as... um, it is as Kohelet says. Uh, Kohelet is the term for the author of Ecclesiastes as his title. And he writes, Vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. Or, as that very same word is translated here, futility of futilities. Everything is futility. And who subjected it to this futility? It's God. Do you not hear the echoes of Genesis 3 in this passage? It is the curse that creation feels. Cursed is the ground because of you, God said to Adam. The land now bears thorns alongside fruit. Childbirth has become painful. God made creation to be ruled by man. For he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. But we are cast out of the garden. When we and all of creation was cursed by God. Now, we do still subdue the earth. But it is now with difficulty and with little effectiveness. It's not a coincidence that Paul is bringing all of these ideas together. Uh, I... Romans, in some ways, is a little bit of Paul's reflections on Genesis. He likes to pick up the ideas and notions of Genesis throughout the entire book. And here he is looking at the fall and how that relates to the suffering and the waiting glory. And so creation waits. It waits until that day when its masters, the children of God, Return to it in glory. It waits for that day that the new Adam 
and his children. Return to it. Yes, you say. He has come, though. Jesus has already come. And we're the church. Aren't we the children of God? Like, what is it waiting for? You're right. But not yet right. Again, Paul explains more. Verse 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. I promise this was a uh, sermon about the Spirit. Really, it is. Uh, we've been given the first fruits of the Spirit. And what are those? Well, it's this, the, the verse we didn't read, Romans 8:16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. This is what he means when he says the first fruits of the Spirit. Is it is this testimony, this, this inward crying out to God. Notice the tense in verse 23. We are having the first fruits of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit, but it is past tense. We have this adoption. We have this, uh, we have this inner cry saying that we are children of God. But again, notice the tense. We are waiting for our adoption. Not having waited, but waiting. This is the idea that theologians will throw out. The idea of already not yet. We are already adopted in God, but not yet. The adoption paperwork has been signed, but we've not gone home with our new family yet. We are still groaning. We are still longing. We're still reaching to grasp this reality behind the veil. But we just can't get to it yet. We can almost see it. We can almost touch it. But it's just out of reach. This is what Paul means when he says the first fruits. Because if there's first fruits, there's going to be last fruits too. By this, Paul means that we have a taste. We have the beginning of what God will give us. But there will one day be a a fullness of it. We have a down payment of the Spirit. But the Lord guarantees us, guarantees it to us in whole. And what will this wholeness be? Why, it's the same thing that creation waits for. It's the redemption of our bodies. One day we will be transformed. Day by day, little by little, we are already. But one day, we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. We will be glorified with him. Jesus himself ties all of these ideas together. When he says, um, A little while, and you will not see me. And a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. 
Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said, isn't this what you're asking yourself? Why are you saying a little while? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. This is what Paul's getting at. Creation is in the agony of childbirth. And so too is the church. But the promised day of deliverance will come. And we will forget this pain. And we will take up our joy in Christ for good. But Paul, life is hard now. Now, I don't know if I can make it to tomorrow. He continues, verse uh, verse 24. Father, or, that was the wrong chapter. Uh, For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. But who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He responds, For with hope we have been saved. Our walk as Christians has always been constituted by this hope. And even now, it will continue to involve hope. English has done a number on this word hope. Um, Modern English, hope takes on a fuzziness. It's vague. It's nebulous. Uh, It's wishful. I hope it doesn't rain today. It might. I hope we still have some muffins in the back. We probably don't. But that's not the classical meaning of the word hope. Hope is confident. It's assured. It, it isn't, it's something you place your faith on. It isn't something that is just sort of, it might happen. I'd like for it to happen. It's something that you have surety of. But Paul's saying hope is not hope if we already have it. If we have what we are longing for, we aren't really hoping for it. We aren't groaning for it. We aren't anxiously longing for it. We have it. So then hope has to be in the future. It has to be looking to something forward. But what gives us confidence that this glory will even come to pass? Why is this hope not modern English hope, but is classical hope? Why are we sure of it? Well, there's lots of reasons. But here's one. It is the work of the Spirit who testifies with our spirit. It's the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our lives who cries out, Abba, Father, and with whom we walk by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Our hope of glory, then, our resolved future promise guarantee of adoption in a renewed world and a renewed body. That's based upon the works, the, the first fruits of the Spirit. 
And the Spirit has sealed us with these first fruits. He has placed a stamp on us. The work which He begins, He will complete. We will receive the fullness of the harvest. And because we have that hope, we persevere. And we too, alongside creation, wait for the revelation of the sons of God. Does that feel tenuous to you? It does to me. The spirit cries out with my spirit. Cool, Paul. Yeah, I know what that means. I don't really know what that means. Uh, we walk by the spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Cool. Yeah, that sounds... That, like, you can make a metal song about that. Uh, we can make a dozen sermons about both of these. But it's still difficult. It's still not clear. It's not right in front of us. That's because we only have the first fruits. We have the inkling of the idea. We have the taste. We have the down payment. And I do think we experience these things, but I think we experience them in subtleties, usually. But even then, I'm really, really bad at them. I struggle to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Even my prayers fail me. Lots of times I can't even muster the simple words, Father. So then, Paul, are we out of hope because of our failures? Do we not have these first fruits? No. There is more to it. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That we are weak is a foregone conclusion of Paul and of the Spirit. We don't even know how to pray as we should. Even if we wanted to, we don't know how to. We're suffering. We want God to save us from our situations. But we also want God's glory to come. What if we pray for the wrong thing? What if we pray for some event that is actually worse for us and it is good for us? What if we pray for the short-term positive, but the long-term, like, it's completely the bad decision? What if we pray wrong? How can we know what to pray? Paul stops us. The Spirit helps us to endure, just as the hope given by the Spirit helps us endure. Uh, the phrase here is literally he bears our weakness with us for the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words remember Paul describes our suffering and our longing as groaning we're groaning and longing for this future he says the same thing of of creation creation groans and now here we find The Holy Spirit 
groaning. But his groaning is deeper. It's too deep for words. Do you desire for your situation to be better? The Holy Spirit does. In fact, he desires it more. Do you long for the glory of the new heavens and the new earth? The Holy Spirit does. And he does it more. Do you desire for all to be well, for all evil to be gone? The Holy Spirit does. He longs for it more. Even better, he who searches hearts, that is, God, he knows the mind of the Spirit. For they are one and they are of one accord, or they drive in one accord. I always get the verse wrong. Uh, Even better, we find this. We have two intercessors before the throne. Often we speak of Christ as mediating on our behalf. And that's true. And that's right. Jesus mediates for us. He is a propitiation for our sin. The anger of God is absent now because of Christ. It has all been placed on him. And God sees Christ in our place. But also, we have the Spirit interceding for us. The Spirit groans for us. He prays for us. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But the prayers of a Holy Spirit? The prayers of God Himself? The prayers of the Divine Eternal One who is praying for us according to the will of God? That's going to avail us way more than And it will ultimately lead us to glory. We should have great confidence in the confession of our hope. We should have great confidence to be able to go forward, even in suffering. This leads Paul into another assurance. He has several more to go, but I'll conclude with this one. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, uh, whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also Glorified. The Spirit's promise of glory will be fulfilled. Let us walk by Him according to the assurance of His first fruits, trusting in His intercession. Come, Lord Jesus, and glorify your people. Amen. Brandon. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think um, the thing that we uh, uh, we were talking about it as we began to figure out what passage was going to be today was where it's going to be about. And we zoomed on this one because it is it's so perfect 
um, about the hope that it gives us in the Holy Spirit, right? It's so perfect in the promises that it makes to us. And I think a lot of times, again, as, as sort of uh, Reformed-ish um, um, people, we, we tend to scoot down and we love when we get into all that predestination stuff down there in, in verse 28. But we forget what the foundation of it is, right? We forget that it is the working of the Spirit and the promises that he is making and, and what he is doing for us that are the things that lead into that stuff. And so, um, thank you. Um, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and um, um, just kind of ask God to, to, to rest our hearts in these things, all right? Um, I know that on a regular basis, like I look at my life, just like Brandon said, um, you just look up and you go, man, I'm not good enough for this. Like, I'm not good at any of this stuff. Um, I'm not smart enough, and I'm not kind enough, and I'm not godly enough, and I'm not following right, and I don't even know what to ask for, and I don't even know what it would look like sometimes for me to um, uh, do and be who God has called me to be sometimes, or even if I'm capable. Um, and all those kind of doubts and questions and fears come into our hearts, and yet the promise of the Spirit is that I am there interceding for you, and I am there um, working um, and and speaking before the Father on your behalf and forming in you um, all these things and making you into the people um, that I've called you to be. So let's go to the Lord and pray, um, just asking Him to affirm those things in our hearts um, and continue to work in us the way He, he does. Father God, we thank you um, again for this time. God, I thank you for Brandon, and I thank you for um, uh, brothers and 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 um, friends in in the family and the church and in ministry who um, God who care about your word and want to um, study it and investigate it and um, learn from it and grow from it and share it um, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for. Um, uh, him and thank you for those who are willing to to share and to teach and to step up in those ways um, father we thank you for your holy spirit on this pentecost day we thank you um, just as as uh, millennia ago tradition tells us that you brought the law um, to us this beautiful revelation um, of who you were um, in the law and yet a law that was also at the same time um, um, condemned us a law that that showed us who we really were and and put us in our place um, God again in 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 your providence in that same time in that same season, um, you also brought to us your Holy Spirit, um, that he has descended and come into our lives, that he is a um, God, an intercessor for us, um, someone who is always um, um, speaking on your on our behalf before you, God, because he knows us perfectly um, and he knows you perfectly because the Holy Spirit is one with you. And so because he can be that perfect um, person who knows both your mind and our mind, God, he can speak to you um, and ask for what is good and right and best and will bring us the most good and you the most glory in our lives, God. We pray that you would continue um, to impress upon us those things, um, that you would give us a sense of um, safety and assurance um, in the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, God, that you would continue to make us hope, God, that we would not be people who lose hope, um, but that we would be people who um, are living in hope, not seeing all the things you have for us yet, but knowing that they are coming because you have promised us those things. Um, Father, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. Um, we um, give you all the glory. Uh, we ask that you continue to walk with us 
and conforms to the image of your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.